I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. I wanted to take a moment to talk about the title of the podcast, Just Sex, because like many things sex-related, the title has multiple meanings. I've always been curious about, and to be honest, somewhat put off by the phrase, it's just sex. Because the inference is that just sex is sex that doesn't matter. It isn't meaningful. It's sex but. I've often heard it tossed off in some version of, well, we had a great time together, but it was just sex. Or we're hooking up, you know, but it's just sex. Or we see each other, sometimes maybe for years, but it's just sex. Whenever someone says this to me, I think, what exactly is the but about in just sex? Because generally, even if we are sexual with someone in a closet or an alley for a sum total of 15 minutes, we are making ourselves vulnerable to them and them to us. Just sex, as it has been described to me, sometimes in great detail, often involves opening one's body to another person and allowing them to enter us or entering them. It may include opening our mouths and taking in another person's tongue or moving our tongue into theirs. Customarily during just sex, we offer up our engorged and exposed genitals to a stranger, to a friend, or to someone we love. Sometimes it means coming on or in this person we are having just sex with, spilling our seed or squirting our juices. Just sex may entail screaming our ecstatic, sexy heads off or crying with joy and relief. So the dismissive ways that people drop the phrase, it's just sex, the sex but, has never squared with me around what we are actually doing, around what actually happens when we are having sex in fleeting, passing, or ambiguous circumstances with strangers or friends or loved ones. What I wanted to suggest by naming the podcast Just Sex is that all sex matters in terms of how we are forming ourselves and enacting our values. Now, let me just say that again for emphasis. I want to suggest that all sex matters in terms of how we are forming ourselves and enacting our values. Just sex becomes a part of our story of who we are, generous or stingy, calculated or kind, clumsy and vulnerable or remote and indifferent, and that all of this matters so very much in a world where sexual violence is carried out every day among us, as common as breathing, and people's lives are shattered by it. People in our families, our friendship circles, our communities, all kinds of people's lives are literally derailed and destroyed by everyday, common as fuck, sexual violence. Which brings me to the other meaning embedded in the podcast title, just sex. Because given that we grow our sexualities inside of such a complex, violent system, I've always wondered, what might just sex be, as in sex that balances power? Sex that doesn't have some kind of patriarchal, transactional echo or aftertaste, where one person gains and the other loses where one gender or race or body type or cutie quotient or set of abilities doesn't come out on top 
while the other falls away somehow degraded, tricked, or one-upped. What might just sex look like, sound like, feel and taste like? Sex where everyone gets off, where all are celebrated, where both or many partners are enlarged, spiritually, emotionally, materially, by the experience. In my visionary sexy eye, just sex is any sex that insists upon transformative, generative connection, despite the violent soup we are all swimming in, and its deformative, constraining impacts. So when I named the podcast Just Sex, I was hoping that by listening deeply to each other's sex stories, we might come to a new place in the road about both just sex and just sex. By finding and sharing dozens upon dozens of stories from people of vastly different social, sexual, gendered, racial, religious, geographic, and practical locations, we might be able to start to map, to puzzle out what just sex might be. And through this listening, we might come to reconsider our own sex stories, the power of them, the hard truths in them, and the transformative, ecstatic possibilities embedded in our intimacies and our sexual connections, be they long-term relationships or fleeting fucks. So there you go. You are listening to Just Sex. I'm Jamie Grant, and I'm a bossy femme bottom. And now I want to welcome my friend and colleague, Aza. And Aza, if you could introduce yourself the way we do at the workshop by offering three terms that describe your desire and also anything else that's important for us to know about you. Thank you, Jamie. I would like to introduce myself as a kisser, wild, and spiritual lover. And that's pretty much, you know, explain the, my story around sexuality and my sexual activities. Lovely. And anything else about your identities or localities or work or friendships or anything like that? As a lesbian woman who has been um, living in so many countries, but I'm originally from Sudan, I've been born and raised there. Um, I think through my um, work experience and my life experience, I have uh, been around so many people. I have picked so many things from different cultures and backgrounds, and I see myself as a global person. Mm. And uh, that's actually shaped a lot about my uh, personality and about my uh, mentality. Well, we were really lucky this year because you came to the Creating Change Conference and shared a desire point there, and a lot of conference goers really responded strongly to your experience. So I wonder if you'd like to share your desire point and, and just talk about what that was like to have everybody respond. Well, being there was actually a very unique experience for me. It was my first time actually to do desire mapping, although I've heard a lot about it and I had the chance actually to read the book and go through the exercises and everything. But when I've been there in the stage was totally something different for me. And I think also because I was not sure whether to to share my private life with other people, how I'm going to feel about that. Mm -hmm. uh, would that help me or actually 
make my sexual life worse because I'm not I'm not sure about the outcome of the experience. Right. And at some point I was hesitant actually to to share the experience I shared in that space because um, it was a very unique experience for me. It was also new experience. I was actually struggling through the time to understand what's going on with me. And I felt maybe sharing this with other people, like strangers in a room filled with activists, might be a good idea actually to help me to understand what I was going through. Mm. And my uh, experience was around a spiritual thing called a twin flame connection, where a lot of people didn't hear about it before. Me neither. I mean, it was something I had to discover through an experience of meeting uh, my twin flame, a person I just ran into randomly in a nightclub somewhere in Europe. And... I felt something. I felt a very strong connection with me and that person. And at the beginning, it was not like something sexual. It was just a magnetic thing. And later, I was trying to figure out what's going on with me and what's going on with this connection. And I just realized I don't want to focus a lot about what is the twin flame connection, what is actually the definition of this thing, where I can go and read uh, about it or find more information. But I was just focusing about how it changed my life, what kind of thing that's happened to me after I became connected to my twin flame. Mm -hmm. These kind of connections, you are not in a traditional relationship with someone. Mm. You're just having a connection with someone. Uh, you can call them like significant others or you can call them a VIP persons in your life or whatsoever. And for me, the most significant things that I noticed about this connection was how I was pretty much relaying to what other people think about me and about my sexuality and about what I should do, what roles I should be playing in my sexual life. And because people actually pretty much look at any person and from their appearance, they can decide to put you in a box, put lesbian, femme, you know, all this, you know, kind of different labels. Yeah. We uh, just take them around us. And that's the, the label that I've been carrying around from other pe people perceptions was like the butch lesbian who mm -hmm. wanted to be in top of other people or want to be uh, dominant in a sexual relationship. And I, through my twin flame connection, I just realized the true self of me is not that. I'm a receiver. I'm a person who wanted to be dominated by other people. And I think that was a, a turning point in my life. It was really hard for me to share that with other people, but I was really amazed by how people actually connected to my story. Yes. If I may, one of the things that was really incredible about your share at Creating Change was that you talked about that you have such a strong spiritual connection with this person that sometimes you can just lay next to each other and not even touch each other and have this whole sexual ecstatic thing just play out between you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it was very hard actually to explain something like this, even for myself, you know, because for me, I had always ideas about what is the best sex ever I can have. I was trying even to picture it and, you know, try to feel it even before I go through the experiences. So for me, 
okay, if I engage in an intimate activity with someone I really like, you know, I'm not going to say I really love, but I really like, and if I could take that heat up between us and between our two bodies together and then go into wild, lovely, nice sex and have the best orgasm ever, that would be my best experience, my best the thing that I would call the, the good sex. Mm -hmm. And then I just realized with this uh, person, that was not the core of what I wanted or is not the core of my desire. And I just realized I could use my mind and my spiritual spirit and energy to connect with this person and actually reach an ultimate pleasure without actually going through all this traditional step. The idea of someone spiritually connecting with you, freeing you from, as you say, that box that others had put you in is such a powerful share. Can you talk a little bit about like how you, how that grew? Like when you first met them, you knew it was something. And so how did you start to find yourself in that territory where you could free yourself? Well, I just wanted to start, I start with the fact that when you have a spiritual connection with someone or this kind of like a twin flame connection, that doesn't mean, doesn't involve, or physical activity doesn't involve there. But the power of uh, how you shift your mind to think about it might be the most important part of it. For me, I've, I've always thought about the brain as the most important sex part mm -hmm. in the body. Yep. And at that point, I just felt like I could expand beyond my limits. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is something more out there. I, I could reach that. And I could reach it with a, a person who's very dear to me, whether we're having sex or not, whether we are just, you know, thinking about the same thing. But the power of really taking your mind beyond your limits, that was the most important part of it. The next really incredible thing that happened on our sort of journey together is then we went to New Zealand. The International Lesbian and Gay Association had its world meeting there. We did a pre-conference mapping session and you shared again. And the really kind of like stunning thing for me being in that room was all the different regimes, the different kinds of regimes people are surviving, political, social, cultural, religious, gendered, sexual, and they're all in the room together. And you also shared your twin flame story there. And it also just had just incredible resonance right across all these different cultures. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to share the story in that space since you do see yourself as a global person and you've been in so many different spaces yourself and just the power of it or anything at all about what you want to share about what that was like? Well, for me, as a, a queer activist who've been doing a lot of work globally and just being in spaces like conferences, workshops, and so on, I, I think that's brought me to the point to realize how diverse we are. Although we can be working towards the same goal or we can, we can call ourselves like one international or global queer movement, but each one of us 
in their personal life they have been shaped by the way they grow up or being raised the thing that's they their their personal experience like uh, what kind of people you went to high school with what mm-hmm. kind of cousins you were hanging out with what quality comes with your lovers or sexual partners or whatever and all that actually can contribute to a very diverse range of people. For me, I would say the difference between the creating change experience and this one, I don't, I don't want to say like uh, stereotypical things about uh, national activists in the United States, but I think at this time we are in 2019, most of the people who are doing LGBTQI plus work, they're pretty much, um, their work are very influenced by the political situation and by all the things that's happening in the American context. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, historically there was a chance for people to to experience the liberation around sexuality even before other places in the world. And I think because of that, I was expecting people in the ALGA world to come from more conservative backgrounds and have more of like their personal uh, suppression experience around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not saying that because I just want to uh, claim people here are more liberal or anything. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen people who came to me in that conference, creating change, and they told me like we've been raised as a Catholics, and it was very hard for us actually to talk about sex or even consider sharing our fantasies or desires with other people. But the more I work globally, the more I understand that there is a shared experience of discrimination, and there is a shared experience of living under very conservative cultures and backgrounds. And I think that's, on another hand, there is also a lot of experience uh, of spirituality around the world. I could feel it when I was traveling and meeting people in other places outside of the United States. And that's combination of like conservatism and spirituality made me more comfortable to share my story, mm-hmm. hoping that people would relate to it more than what I did here in Detroit. Yeah, and I, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, a couple of people just jumped up and were like, that's happened to me, you know, I, we have to talk, you know. Uh, I think that the sort of spiritual sexual split is, like there's a particular American construction around that, around conservative religious stuff that, you know, those two things are diametrically opposed and I think in in lots of cultures and lots of places that that bifurcation has been much less successfully made right and, yeah and it felt like people really could feel it and, and see it in your story you know I see there is a something happening in other parts of the world it might be like a two-edged sword because at some point I feel like it's not the coolest thing you want to experience in your life. But in so many places around the world, that religion is so intertwined with spirituality. So you grow up having this experience since you were you were just a kid, you know. You have the chance to go to religious school where you can also get the very traditional conservative religious teachings, but also you get to experience what it mean to be a spiritual person. Is there anything else you want to say about your work? I mean, we'd love to hear about your work with Grinder for Equality and what kind of activist work you're, you're doing in, in your position. 
Well, I came um, to join the team in Grinder for Equality like a year ago. I heard about the great work of the initiative itself from my uh, dearest friend, Jack Harrison Quintana, who's the executive director of the Grinder for Equality. I was involved in uh, regional and more local work with uh, LGBT communities in the Middle East and North African countries. And I was more like inspired by uh, my experience uh, being as, a, as an activist and founder of two organizations in Egypt and Sudan. And I was pretty much focusing on that regional work because I just realized the area of the Middle East, North Africa, what we call MENA region, was just unlucky, closed. Uh, for for so many people, people think like this is like a hopeless case mm-hmm. activism uh, thing, and uh, a lot of people actually undermine the work that has been done. Uh, the great work actually has been done in those countries. Mm-hmm. So that was like my more my focus there to continue to do this kind of work and to advocate for LGBT rights in these places. And then when I uh, offered the opportunity actually to join Grinder for Equality, I was not really sure about, is this the kind of thing that I really want to do, like just jump from the local and regional level to, to do international work, although I was really fond about doing that. But I was hesitant a little bit about, you know, uh, saying yes to that generous offer. And then I experienced some security situations with my work back in Egypt in 2017. There was a big uh, crack and big mass arrest for the LGBT community back there. I was in the forefront of fighting for the situation on the ground. And then I had to leave the country because it was no longer safe for me. Mm. And um, I just, I basically was traveling from a country to another country uh, because I couldn't stay in one place. I couldn't, you know, afford to get like a residency in one country. And then the opportunity for Grinder came in and I thought like, maybe this is, you know, the universe trying to tell me like, it's time. It's mm-hmm. time to offer my experience, my passion to a greater and wide range of people all over the world, and I came in. And at the beginning, I was not sure, like, um, okay, what I bring into this amazing team. It seems like people are doing really great. There is so people in Grinder for Equality who, who are very experienced in their work, in their area. And I just realized, like, if I could bring some of my experience and some of my background work in the MENA region to this initiative, along with my security and safety background, I was being trained as a digital security trainer for so many years. And I was just trying to help the communities back there to continue doing the work that they believe in safely. And I thought like, if these two things, if these two qualities can be brought to the Grinder for Equality work, I would really contribute to this amazing team. Mm. Given that you're someone who has had to deal with really bottom line safety issues, I mean, a lot of times the pushback that I get in this work, people who say, well, this is just superfluous, the work that you're doing, right? That this uh, safety and, you know, that we should be focusing all, you know, it's all here. And, And what would you say to that around like, 
the value of mapping or how you've seen these things work together or, or what? I mean, I didn't choose to do the work related safety and security. I think I just found myself in a situation where I need actually to learn how to protect myself and the other people I work with. Mm -hmm. And I need to learn more ways and strategies on doing that. Otherwise, I would put everybody in danger, including myself. Mm -hmm. And I started, from my experience, the digital threats were the most immediate threat that face every queer activist in, 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 in that region. And I thought, oh, if I go and I gain knowledge in the digital security area, that might be enough for me. And I'll be really helpful to my communities, uh, especially that few people who are really trained in that area. And most of them, they are not, either they're not queer or maybe they're not queer friendly. And that was an issue. Mm-hmm. Because most people, they prefer actually to go do the work they're doing without having any knowledge about their uh, safety and security rather than sit down with a person who's homophobic and transphobic to teach them how to protect themselves right. while doing that work. So I felt the responsibility and I took the, the initiative actually to be trained, to attend a lot of TOT, training of trainers, sessions and so on and then I start to do workshops and out of these workshops I just realized like people are they wanted more they wanted more than just teach them what is the best tool to use Mm. to navigate you know or communicate with people online or and my mind went to the area of the personal safety and I thought like wow okay we need to add more to that area and we need to talk about the personal safety because if people are protecting themselves while they are navigating the internet but they still can be under the danger to be arrested or beaten on the streets because of the because the people how the people perceive them or how the way that they walk or talk or anything that's look like non-heteronormative a lot of people actually face problems and then i start to add more around the personal safety and still, I, was, I had the feeling that people need more. Oh and I was like, okay, this is all I can actually offer, all I can give you. I mean, what else I can offer? And then I realized that there is a, a very important piece around safety and security that people, most people actually often neglect and they don't consider it even as a security issue. That's uh, the part related to our well-being and the self-care. And at that point, I um, started actually to work with something called holistic security, where we actually bring all these three pillars together and try to give them the same uh, way and to navigate actually our uh, safety and security from this uh, approach. And in, in that moment, I just realized if you fear about talking to other people about your you know sexual desires about your fantasies about the deepest uh, yeah truth that's really come from the bottom of your heart I mean what kind of activist would you like to be what kind of quality of work you want to deliver to other people what kind of safety can you create exactly and at this point I just realized there actually I did my first uh, mapping uh, session like this is exactly maybe the fourth element that I need to add to my holistic security uh, teachings and practice. Mm, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you.
And now it's time for definition of the day. Today, we're going to be moving through K and L words. So let's start first with one of my favorite K words, kink or kinky. Kink or kinky is about sexual activities that lie outside of monogamous, heterosexual, white-defined, male-dominated expressions and form a loose category of kinky sexual expressions. Kinky activities may involve domination, role-playing, sensory deprivation, piercing, playing with bodily fluids such as urine or blood, multiple partner scenarios, binding, spanking, and or other physically aggressive acts such as punching or caning, consent, creativity, power exchange, and pleasure are the bedrock of kinky practices and sexualities. Kink or kinky. Libido describes one's desire for intimate or sexual connection, commonly discussed as sex drive. But many people who do not pursue sex have robust libidos. Libido fluctuates wildly among people. Some experience their libidos as insistent drivers of their intimate, social, and sexual lives. Others experience it as a faint or tenuous hum streaming through their social and sexual lives. People may experience significant changes in their libidos at different life stages, like adolescence or early parenthood. When people complain of low libido, as discussed in the Desire Mapping Workshop, it is because they want to express and act on their sexuality more often or with more vibrancy than their libido currently directs or inspires them to. This is a condition the Desire Mapping proposes to address. Libido. Hey, we're going to take a little break from the show to let you know about my fantastic sponsors. First, Grinder for Equality, a global human rights program leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ liberation rights and safety around the world. Also, I'd like to thank Elizabeth Scott, a longtime Desire Mapping fan who took the workshop over 10 years ago, a feminist philanthropist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And finally, the Freeman Foundation, also one of my long-term supporters a foundation that centers the power of the erotic in LGBTQ liberation work. Thanks, everyone. If you're enjoying yourself here every week, I hope you'll tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe and go to iTunes and give us five stars. You can also go over to Patreon and become a monthly supporter. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you want to get in touch with me for coaching or to buy my book, or just to give us feedback on this week's or any week's episode, you can get me at justsexpod at gmail.com. Today, I'd like to share a few final questions for our questions of the day that are related to what we often do in the Desire Mapping Workshop. One point in the workshop We often pause and look at our maps and look at the material that's coming up for us and think about 
what our desire points are telling us, what they're pointing us toward. And there are three questions that are related to that point in the workshop. So here's what I want you to be thinking about as you're thinking about your desire journey. First question, am I living fully into my desire? Say that one again. Am I living fully into my desire? Question number two, am I ignoring, repressing, or minimizing the significance of points on my desire map? And here's another way of thinking about this. Am I ignoring, repressing, or minimizing the significance of points in my desire story? And then finally, the third question, what does my desire map tell me about what I need to do next in terms of my sex and desire journey? And let's do that one one more time. What does my desire map tell me about what I need to do next in terms of my sex and desire journey. I like New York in June. How about you? I like a Gershwin tune. How about you? I love a fireside. When a storm is due I like potato chips Moonlight motor trips How about you? I'm mad about good books Can't get my fill 